Hey Heartland, how are we doing today? As should be said, we are kicking off a brand new series today. So I'm glad that you're here as we jump into this together. We have this uh, game that we like to play as a staff from time to time uh, when we're just you know, maybe having lunch or, or just kind of kicking around some things. And it's this game called Debatable. Anyone ever seen this game, seen it around? It's a, I, I encourage it. It's a great game. What the gist of it is, it's kind of a this or that game. So the game gives you two options and you have to choose which of the two options you think is the better option and be able to defend, maybe debate uh, why you think the way that you do. And they're like, they're like nonsense kinds of things. And it's just fun to kind of spur some little bit of dialogue. So I thought as we kicked off this new series, called Quick to Listen, that this would be a fun way to start the series, that I just went and pulled uh, some questions from the debatable game, and we'll throw them up here on this screen, and here's what I need from you, if you would be so willing, if you would be willing to shout out which of the two options you think is better, okay? Can you, can you do that? Yeah. Okay, now, that was kind of lackluster. You guys have an extra hour of sleep in you, so I need a little bit more from you. Can you, can you do that? Yeah. Okay, now those of you who are watching online, this goes for you too. We can't hear you, but you are free to shout at your screen or type it in the chat window uh, just to foster some engagement here. Now here's the rules. You have to choose one option. Like you, you can only pick one. There's no in between here. And there's also, and normally you might have to like discuss some clarifications between the two options. That's not happening this time. You just have to choose one. So uh, just to get us started with something really easy, which do you think is better, winter or summer? Wow, you came strong. Lots of summer fans. Not surprising because we live in the Midwest, right? Okay, so good job. You got the hang of it. That's the gist of this. All right, next thing here, peanut butter, crunchy or smooth? Smooth. <laughs> he, she who answers last wins, I think is how that goes. It's smooth, yes. Okay, this is, a, this is a little bit of a dicey one. I know we're walking into some kind of tricky territory here. When it comes to Christmas music, can you play it before Thanksgiving or after? <laughs> it is clear and decided after is the way that the, you all feel. Okay, but uh, now this one's specific to Kansas City. When it comes to the best barbecue in Kansas City, is it between Joe's or... I didn't even get to the end of the question there. Like, did anyone throw in another, like, not even these two, you just have your own? Yeah, there we go. Yeah, there's plenty of options, I know. But, and this is one of those that if I, if I could have room for clarification, it would be like, now are we talking like ribs or burnt ends or the beans? Like, because if I could take a little bit, right? Okay. Um, all right, this one also from the game. Uh, the Royals 1985 World Series Championship over St. Louis, was it legitimate? <laughs> I don't know how that question got in there. It, it doesn't have anything to do with the fact that I'm actually from St. Louis, but it just, that, yeah. Here, I will, and don't tell my friends from St. Louis, uh, the call was wrong, but the Royals deserve to win the series. Okay, uh, uh, next question, next question, uh, Chicago Bears or literally any other sports team? Any other sports <laughs> Sorry, Dan. Sorry. Not many Chicago fans here. All right, last one, last one. You guys are doing great, but this one might be the, the most divisive that we have, KU or K-State. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. It's, it's, it's split even. It's split even. Okay. Uh, why, do we, why do we play this game? Why, did I, why are we kicking off our series this way? For one, especially if you're newer to Heartland, um, we don't 
we love to have fun around here. We don't take ourselves too seriously. We take what we do and what we talk about seriously. We take Jesus, obviously, very seriously. But we also love to have fun. And as we kick off a new series called Quick to Listen, I thought that this would be a fun way to kick it off. And the series is all from this verse that we're going to be looking at for the next three weeks. It comes from James 1.19 in the New Testament. And James writes, take note of this. Basically saying, hey, everyone, listen up. This is important. He says, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. He says, everyone, not just some people, but he's saying everyone, agree to this. Be quick to listen, be slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Now, if there was a verse that I think we need maybe maybe more than any other right now in our time that we live in, I think it might be this verse. Not to say that there aren't other great verses in the Bible. There are. I just think this is one that is a particularly poignant one for the time that we live in. Because we live in a time when there is more talking than ever. When there is more anger than ever. That as things continue to pull and to divide us and to be presented before us, that we continue to turn our voices and our radios and, and all these things. We, t- we are turning these things up. But what we're not, have not been turning up is this idea of listening. And now, these things that we were kicking around in this game, these options that I threw up there, these were just silly things. These were, these were fun things. You know, they, they don't really matter. Well, some of them don't matter. Some of them do matter, maybe more than the others. But, but for the most part, they don't matter. But if I threw up some other things up there and asked you to choose between this or that, we could stop having fun really quickly, right? Like if I were to put up some different like religious views and said, you have to choose between this or that. Or just some like views of public policy and I said, hey, choose this or that. If I threw politics up here and said this party or this candidate or that one, this would get really tense. Now, don't worry, I'm not, okay? Um, This would get really tense really quick. That, That what we would be reminded of is that we have no shortage of things that we have ideas and thoughts on. In fact, we have no shortage of things that we can have passionate views on, that if we can get that passionate about peanut butter, no, I did, I did kind of rouse you up and and got you into the game, but if we can be that passionate about peanut butter, well, of course we're gonna be just as passionate, if not more, about some of these other more significant things. See, your ability to have thoughts and opinions and values that you hold tightly to, to have beliefs that you ground your life in, and you do, we do, I do, this is part of what makes you human. This is also something that we enjoy as part of the country that we live in, that we have the ability to express these things, to share these things freely with the people around us. And we also happen to live at a time where we have more opportunities than any other human people in history to be able to share those opinions. Now, we take all that. This is what makes our relationships with one another so hard. Because your workplace is filled with people who may not see things the same way that you do. Your household, maybe even your own marriage, and even the church, our church, is filled with people who see things differently, who have different values, who even vote differently about different things, who have different opinions about what's happening in the world than one another do. And so our goal in this series, hear me out, our goal in this series is not to figure out how do we come to a a unanimous agreement about anything. This series is not about views about society or views about politics or anything like this. Our goal in this series is not to equip all of us in how to win dialogues and arguments and debates with other people. That is not what this series is about. It's about something much more important and pertinent to Christ than that. Our goal in this series is how do we navigate the disagreements that we have with the people in our lives? 
And we were gonna do a lot of talking and using kind of, kind of society as a reference point because it is something that we are living right in the midst of, but we wouldn't have to. My guess is that when it comes to you and, and your roommate, you have disagreements that are anything but like views about society. That even you and your spouse might have different views about how to parent or how to discipline your kids or what to do about their schooling or even how to spend your money. So the things we're talking about, we can apply and we should apply to a wide range of things. But, but today, what we're going to do is we're going to kick off this series, how do we navigate the disagreements that we have by looking at this first part of this verse. Over the next three weeks, we're going to break this, part, this verse apart into three parts. Today, we're going to talk about how do we listen well. That's it. And the next week, we're going to jump into the next part of the verse and, and talk about how do we speak? How do we use our words in good ways and not to do damage in our relationships and conversations with other people? And then finally, we're going to look at the last part of the verse and we're going to say, well, what do we do with some of the, the anger that we may feel, even and especially about some of the things that we may see happening in the world? What does the Bible tell us to do? How would Jesus teach us to live in these things? And here's why this series is so important. Two reasons. One, very practical, because Thanksgiving is coming. And there will be people maybe at your gathering or seated around your table, and you are already praying that you can make it to dessert without something being said that just destroys the whole gathering, right? You've seen that happen. Maybe you've been a part of that before. But here's the other reason, a far more important reason why this series is so important, why God has put it on the heart of us as a leadership of this church is, is because how we handle disagreements is crucial to how we live as followers of Jesus. That when Jesus tells us to love your neighbor, he's not simply talking about the neighbors who have the same political signs in their yards as you and I do. When Jesus tells us to love your enemies, he's talking about the people who see things in this world differently than you do. And maybe the views that they have, the ideas and opinions that they have are ones that frustrate you, that maybe even make you uncomfortable. Maybe even the thoughts and views that they have offend you or maybe even hurt you. And yet, Jesus continues to insist that we should love them. And, and how do we do that? See, this is the series that we all needed six years ago. I don't know if you can remember six years ago. It's 2016, right? And if we were to just kind of fast forward through the six years, all of those things that we experienced collectively together, we had, we had two contentious presidential elections. We had serious waves of economic uncertainty, major investigations into multiple national leaders. And I'm not just speaking politically, like even religious and in the, in the business sector, all of these things, leaders who are, who are falling and being investigated, a health pandemic, and schools, churches, institutions, organizations, business, businesses, many of these things that, that maybe you lead or certainly are a part of, all of these things being faced with decisions that they have never had to think about or consider before. And with each of these things, we all had to decide this or that. And we almost had to do so overnight, right? We see a headline and we have to decide this or that. We receive some sort of guidance from the government about something and we have to decide this or that. We have to decide these things that for the past six years that we have been asking this question almost every single day is what do I think about this? Every time something new would emerge. But an equally, maybe actually a more important question that I think we were wrestling with, whether you know it or not, is that we had to decide what do I do with the people who think differently than me about this? Because you quickly realize, and I do too, 
that people who I have known and been friends with and in family with and love and even who love Jesus, and, and, but, but somehow we didn't realize that maybe we don't think about the same, we don't think the same way about all the same things. We all experienced that. So if you did, you're, you're not alone. We had to ask this question, what do I do with the people who think differently than me? And you know what, for, the, for most of us, what we did, we did this. We unfriended them. That in 2020, a survey was released that 61% of American adults admitted that they had unfriended or unfollowed, which in the social media world says that I'm going to stop seeing your post, but we're going to keep being friends. So basically, you have no idea that I'm no longer paying any attention to you, but I don't want you to know that. Unfriend, unfollow, or block someone because of something that they posted related to politics. Now, I know, I, I share this statistic and it'd be easy to discredit for our purposes because we think, well, that's politics. That's why you don't talk about politics. That's bound to happen, right? Or we can say, well, that's just social media. That's not real life. Or is it? Have you ever unfriended anyone about a disagreement that you've had? Have you ever ignored a phone call because you know that you and this person don't see eye to eye on something? Or because you're afraid of the conversation that might happen? Have you ever muted a relationship or someone's voice in your life because you haven't known how to navigate the disagreement that you have with them, the way that you might see things differently? I have. I'm not proud of that. This series is something that I need, that we're learning this together. Maybe you've wounded a relationship or a friendship or a family member because of this. Maybe you've been on the receiving end and you're the one who has been muted or ignored or unfriended from someone else's life. So what do we do? What do we do with the people who think differently than we do? And what especially should the followers of Jesus do? The Bible tells us what we should do. That what we should do is we should be quick to listen. That even though our first inclination is going to be to speak, to be quick to speak, that we should be quick to listen. That even though we might find ourselves becoming angry, we should be quick to listen. That our first response in a disagreement or when we hear something from someone, whether it's a friend or someone else, that our first inclination is going to be to correct, to fix, to judge, to condemn. Those are the things that we're going to be tempted to do, which is why James is writing this verse. He says, no, 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 no. I'm going to flip this around. You're going to want to be quick to speak, but I'm going to tell you, you should be quick to listen. Here's why this verse is so powerful for us. Because nowhere in the New Testament are the followers of Jesus described as people who agree about everything. Nowhere in the New Testament are the people of Jesus described as people who win their arguments with the world about everything. No, the Bible envisions the church to be something so much more powerful and winsome than that. And this is the big idea of this whole series right here, is that Jesus first people, you heard it already in our welcome, Jesus first people, which is who we are, we make Jesus first, are a listening first people. Jesus first people are a listening first people. Now, to be clear, some of you already have an email started in your head to me. Um, let me speak to that a little bit. Uh, does, this, does this mean that we don't have things that we do agree on? Well, of course we do. This is not a series about agreements 
or disagreements. It's how do we navigate the disagreements. That we, here as a church, there are things that we hold tightly to, that there are beliefs that we have. We, we, if you've been around at Heartland for a while, you know that we call these things our essentials, that these are our core beliefs about God and Jesus and the Bible and how we live as people in this world, that these are the things that we hold tightly to, right? And so we say in the essentials, unity, and in the non-essentials and everything else, which is a lot, liberty. Now, that's hard, that there can be a, a range of different views of even some differences about what do we do with these things when it comes to these things. Like, these are hard, which is why we say in all things, grace, right? In essentials, unity, in the non-essentials. And sometimes we might disagree about what is an essential? What is a non-essential? And this is why this is something that's easier said than done, that we have to work through that messy middle, and it's only going to happen by having grace with one another. And the way that we do is by being quick to listen, that the first thing we should do isn't to speak, it's to be listening so that we can be a listening first people. Now, James, the author of this verse, he understood this. James was a leader of the early church, the half-brother of Jesus, raised in the Jewish faith. And so he came to believe that Jesus was the Messiah and James himself became a follower of Jesus, the one who was sent by God. So James knew as a, as a one who was raised in the Jewish faith, well-versed in the Old Testament, he knew that the word listen was one of the most frequently used in the whole Old Testament. That the word listen or hear, if we consider all of scripture, shows up over 1,500 times. So twice a day or more, James would have repeated the Shema, which was a prayer that began in Deuteronomy 6, that the Jews would recite two or more times a day that begins Shema Yisrael. Hear, O Israel. Shema Yisrael. Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. I paid a lot of money to learn how to do that. <laughs> Just wanted to impress you. That's all I remember from all that, actually. Um, but it began Shema, hear. Hear, O Israel. The Lord is God. The Lord alone that they would remind themselves multiple times a day that I need to listen to God, that to be the people of God was to be a people who listened to God. Even back in Genesis 1, the very first thing that creation ever did was to listen to the voice of God who spoke it into being, right? Now fast forward all the way up to Jesus, the number of times that he tells people to listen to what he has to teach, to hear his parables, that to be the people of God was to be a listening people, not just a people who listen well to God, but also a people who listen well to one another. What this means, I think, is that it is the church, it is the followers of Jesus who should be known within our world and as their society as the people who listen better than any other people. Are we? Is that how our society would regard us? If we were to do a survey of the nation and say, when you think of Christians, do you think of them as the people who listen better and more than anyone else in your life? Do we really need a survey? <laughs> if we ask the people that you gathered with at the holidays or in your workplace, hey, is this person known for their, their listening? This is why we need this series. Because we have lost our right to speak because we've forgotten how to listen. Even Dietrich Bonhoeffer, back in the mid-20th century, this is what he said. He said, many people are looking for an ear that will listen. They do not find it among the Christians because the Christians who should be listening are talking. This is a long time ago. I wonder what he would have to say about us today. Now, I'm throwing all of us under the bus here, right? So what happened? Where did we get things out of order? 
Why is it that James needed to write this verse in, this, in the first place? I think it's that we've never learned how to listen. Even though even within the womb, we were able to listen. Once we came out and started to be able to speak, I think we were off to the races. That we get into politics because we have something to say. We even get into pastoring because we have something to say. But what if we reinvested that energy into this divine act of listening? How would that change our relationships? And as a church, how would that change our influence in the world? So here's what I think we need. So we need to learn how to listen. We need to hear James' instructions and learn how to listen. So I, I want to give us four steps of how to do this. So if you're a note taker, this is going to be really simple to follow along with, is four steps to learn how to listen. And even if you aren't a follower of Jesus, I guarantee that the things that we're talking about in these four steps will help you in your own relationships in, in your life. So you don't even have to be in the, the Jesus thing to be able to benefit from this sermon. And so the first step to learning how to listen, it seems obvious, but it's an important one. To learn how to listen, we have to stop talking. <laughs> it's like, okay. I got that. No, I don't, I don't think we do. We love talking. We, we love filling space with our, with our words. It, it seems obvious, and yet this is the number one thing that makes us terrible listeners, even when we are listening. Are we? Or are we just waiting our turn to talk? Are we thinking about uh, how we're going to respond to the person based on what they're saying? You know, Next week, we're going to talk about what do we do with our words and how do we speak well in our conversations. And we're going to look a lot at the Proverbs, but the, the key theme of how do we speak well, how do we use our words for good benefit, the, the starting point is that we just don't have a lot of them. We just don't need to speak as much as we think we do. The Proverbs 17.28 says, even fools are thought wise if they keep silent and discerning if they hold their tongues. This is really encouraging if you think about it that you don't even have to say anything and you will be perceived a lot smarter than you actually are, right? Here's another verse that Proverbs tells us, eleven twelve: a person of understanding keeps silent. What is it with silence that we feel like we have to fill it with our words? I was talking about this with our team of counselors that we have here at the church. We have an incredible team of counselors. This is what they do all day long is they listen. They are professionals in this art of listening. And I said, why is it? What is it that, that society, that about silence that we feel like we have to fill it? And they said, really, it's a pretty simple answer. It's anxiety. That we get made nervous and anxious about silence. That silence makes us anxious. And sure, speaking can be good, but it can also be our way of keeping the attention on us in a conversation. That speaking can be our way of controlling a conversation. That we're in a dis when we're in a disagreement, talking is a way that we can actually use our words to build a wall in a conversation, but listening tears that wall down. See, this is fascinating to me. Listening is actually a more vulnerable thing to do than talking is. That you make yourself more vulnerable to another person when you really truly listen to them than you do when you're talking to them because listening opens us up to others more than talking does. That listening says to the other person, I'm more interested in what you have to say than what I do. But listening also says to them, I'm willing to be challenged by what you have to say. I'm willing to lay down my arguments, my assumptions, my desires for this conversation. I'm willing to give you this space because I'm more interested in what you think than in what I do. And that's why the kind of space that we make for listening matters so much. First step, we have, just have to stop talking. Second step is we need to listen attentively. 
Listen attentively. Early in my marriage with Allison, um, we were working on our communication skills. We're still working on our communication skills. We're 18 years and four kids later, we've taken a little bit of ground, but we still have a lot of work to do, right? So one of the things that we were learning was kind of this idea of listening attentively. I remember us having a conversation and we were deep into the conversation and I think my wife figured out that I might not have been listening quite as attentively as she was hoping I would be. And so she threw that question at me in the middle of what she was talking about. And she said, hey, are you listening to me? To which I said, uh-huh, right? And then she just gently grabbed my chin and pulled it to, toward her and said, well, then listen with your face, right? You can use that one on one another later today if you need to. You ever been there? You ever been in a conversation listening to someone, but maybe you're not listening or you stopped listening as well as you know that you should have been? Maybe you're in a conversation with someone, but your pocket is buzzing and someone's trying to get attention, your attention, or your kids are tugging at you, or you're at a restaurant and there's a TV over the shoulder of the person that you're with playing a game that you're actually really interested in, and you're trying to like not let them know that you're looking at the TV until they finally get a clue, or you're just out of coffee with someone and you can't help but hear the conversation happening around you. See, our lives are filled with noise. This, the world is stacked against us when it comes to listening well, to being attentive to one another in our marriages and in our working relationships. Our conversations and lives are filled with so much noise. But what we have to remember is that listening attentively creates the kind of welcoming space that we need for true conversations, especially conversations with those people that we disagree with. That we need to think of listening, not just as a receiving of words or a waiting of, for our turn to talk. That we should think of listening as an act of hospitality. This is an idea that I got from an author by the name of Adam McHugh. It's a resource that I highly recommend if you want to dig into this. This has been really helpful for me as we've been preparing this series. He wrote a book, uh, The Listening Life, Embracing Attentiveness in a World of Distraction. Definitely look it up if you want to grow in this area or learn a little bit more in this area. But he talks about this idea of listening as hospitality. And this is what he says. He writes it like this. He says, in listening, we open the door and we receive a guest. When we listen, we welcome others into our space. If we do it right, we won't fully know what we are getting ourselves into. We don't know who will come in and what they will bring with them. We are opening ourselves to surprise, to receiving strangers, to hearing the unexpected. And we are opening ourselves to being changed. Now, the first time I read this, for one, it was just kind of thinking about listening as hospitality. I think that was a really valuable thing. But I kind of wanted the whole quote, and I was tempted to put it up here without this line right here. Because <laughs> it's one thing for me to welcome someone into my space. I think I might be able to do that. But to make myself vulnerable enough to let that conversation change me, to suggest to me that maybe there's another way to think about this, to accept that maybe I might not be as right as I think I am, that's what hospitality offers us. The question that we have to ask ourselves is what kind of space am I creating for others? Is it a space that welcomes people and tells them you and your thoughts are welcome here? Which raises another question. Is it who are the voices that you're willing to welcome into your space? Who are the people that you're willing to listen to, to make that space for? Will I welcome only the voices that I agree with? Or will I welcome those that don't? This is something that Jesus did that frustrated the powerful people of his day, that Jesus welcomed voices. He welcomed people. 
that others would ignore. And it always seemed to happen whenever Jesus was walking down the street. And it was usually the marginalized and the overlooked in society. That these people would cry out and call to him as he would walk by on the street. Like one time when a blind man calls out to Jesus, but the crowd tells this man to be quiet. Now Jesus could have kept walking, but instead he invites the man to him and he asks, what can I do for you? Jesus stops. He looks at the man. He asks him a question and he listens to this guy's story. A sick woman grabs a piece of Jesus' garment on another day and Jesus asks her story. He stops and he pays attention to her and he makes a space. I guarantee that this woman had never had anyone in her life make a space to hear about her and her experiences and her struggles. Now, why did Jesus do this? For one, because his disciples were with him. And his disciples were the ones who weren't making space for these stories. And I think Jesus wanted them to hear these people's stories. Because these were going to be the guys who were, carrying his, who were carrying on his mission in this world. But here's the other reason why I think Jesus stopped and made space for these people's stories. And so that this world would know that our God is a listening God. That time and time again in the Psalms, it says that, 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 hear my cry, O Lord, and the Lord would turn, would actually turn his face and hear the cries of people. That God literally listens with his face. That we don't have to reach and grab his chin and say, listen to me, he already is. And by Jesus making space for people and looking them in the eye, he was showing them, this is the kind of God that we have. That God is a God who listens to us. And so it's upon us then as his people to be a people who make space for the voices and the stories that maybe we're tempted to ignore. See, when James was writing his, his letter to the first, this, in the first century, 119, this verse that we've been looking at, he was writing to fellow Jews who now found themselves following Jesus in communities of people who weren't entirely Jewish in their backgrounds. That you had Jewish Christians and you also had Gentile Christians. You had, you had people from all slices of society, different levels of, of the economy, people that James' Jewish readers weren't used to being in relationship with. This was why a lot of the New Testament was written, is what does it mean to be the people of Jesus who are made up of all of these different backgrounds and experiences? See, the church has never been a homogenous people. James knew that his readers' inclination would be to ignore the voices that were different than theirs. But the church, this new people of Jesus in the world, he was calling them to be a people who listen, not just to hear, but a people who listen to understand. This is the third big step as we're going to learn how to be good listeners is listen to understand, listen to learn. Now, I know maybe there's another email that someone has started in their head or maybe you already have it on your phone or maybe you already quick send and it's in my inbox. Um, But just for a second, let me speak to maybe what some of you might be thinking. You're saying, wait, are you saying that, or maybe you're thinking, but but what about on this? Now hear me, listen. Listening to someone does not mean agreeing with them. This is important. I think some of the reasons we're reluctant to listen is because we think it insists it's going to communicate that I agree with you on these things. It's taking agreement out of the equation. You're just simply listening. It doesn't mean agreeing with them, but it does mean learning from them. How many times do you tune into a news source from the other end of your political spectrum? Probably not often because you think, what do I have? Why would I? What do I have to learn from there? It's laughable to even think that we should, but people used to do this a lot that they would have healthy and robust dialogue with people who saw things differently so that they could learn 
things. We don't have to agree in order to learn from one another. I listened to this incredible podcast. It was an interview by the Harvard Business Review with an international debate champion, okay? And one of the things that he said is that what most people get wrong about debates is that they think the whole goal is to win, to dismantle their opponent's argument. He says, but that's not it. The goal of a debate is not to win. It's to understand. It's to learn. That as you learn your opponent's views, you learn the weaknesses of your own. And I'd add, as we learn our opponent's views, that you actually become more compassionate toward those whose views you disagree with. And as the people of Jesus, sure, we have things that Jesus tells us to go and to speak into the world, that he gives us good news to share, that there are things that we hold tightly to. But what we are assuming as we go about the message that God has given us is that there is a world who will be listening to us, right? But if we're not willing to reciprocate the same kind of listening that we want people to offer us as we share the good news of Jesus with them, we're just being hypocrites. We're just shooting ourselves in the foot. And so in order to earn that right to even speak, and again, we'll talk about that next week, we have to listen first. When you find out that someone on Facebook feels differently about an issue in society that you do, how often do you say, tell me more? I'd like to understand this better. How many times have you heard or seen that? Probably not a lot. I'm always fascinated watching Facebook conversations about some charged issue. It doesn't matter if it's political or social or about whether a coach made the right play in a big you know, moment in a game or something. Never do you see anyone asking that question. And it's only a matter of time in this, in this passionate dialogue, so to speak. One of the things that Adam McHugh said is, is the great promise of the internet is that dialogue would prevail. Anyone experience that? We have great access to information. We have more opportunity to speak. But dialogue is nowhere in sight. And so it's only a matter of time in an argument where someone says these words, well, I guess we'll just have to agree to disagree, disagree right? Maybe you've said that. Maybe you've heard that. And it's kind of the stopping point of if we go any farther, we're going to damage one another. <laughs> like, and sure, it's, it's good. It's healthy to know your stopping point to say, I don't want to insult you. I don't want to burn this relationship. We're just going to have to agree to disagree. But what saddens me whenever I see that it's that somehow our standard for healthy conversation has, been, has become amicable disagreement. That it's just keeping the peace, preserving the relationship. And I think, especially as followers of Jesus, we have an opportunity to raise the standards in our conversations with one another. What if the standard wasn't just amicable disagreement, but what if our standard became working hard to understand each other better. This is the opportunity that we have as followers of Jesus. It's that we would be just as passionate about understanding those who disagree with us as we are about what we believe to be true and right. It's the difference of listening to argue versus listening to learn. That when we listen to argue, our presumption is, is that we already understand all there is to know about something, right? That we understand everything there is to know about an issue. And so our goal in that, in that disagreement is to simply show someone why they are wrong. But listening to learn, this assumes that you have more to learn, not just about an issue, but about that person, about why they think differently. And what's usually the case is that that person has had different experiences than you've had. Just consider why you're so passionate about some of the things that you believe. It, it, it could be peanut butter or politics. Like the reason why you, you've expressed what you did about that is there was probably some experience in your life about all of those th silly things that we started off with that made you believe what you believe about those things. But not everyone, obviously, in this room had the same experiences that you did. That if you hold tightly to a certain public policy or political view, it's probably because 
that's working out for you. It has worked out for you. But if that changed, you'd probably start thinking differently about those things. And so, of course, people who haven't had the same experience as you have had, or maybe that, that political view or public policy isn't working out quite so well for them. So we should expect them to feel differently about it and to learn from them if that's the case. Because not everyone has had the same experiences as you or as me. So what should we do in those moments? We should work hard not just to understand what people think, but to understand why they think the way they do. That again, as Adam McHugh says, that we should be willing to enter another person's world. That we become willing to get our feet dirty in the layered soil of someone else's life, trying to think and feel the way they do and creatively imagining ourselves in their world. Does this sound any, like anything that we read in the Bible? This is the very incarnation of Jesus. This word incarnation, which means that Jesus became human, that he left his world in heaven and he stepped into our world here on earth, that he moved into the neighborhood of our lives and our world, that he got his feet dirty in the layered soil of our world. And because he did, he understands us. He certainly doesn't agree with the way we think about a lot of things, but he understands us. He knows the context for why we do. There's a practice for this that we teach as part of our Emotionally Healthy Relationships uh, course here at Heartland. In fact, uh, check our social media. We're going to put a, a link to one of these resources and even a self-assessment that you can take that'll help you see how do I do this in my own life and what are some areas that maybe I can take to grow in. And, uh, so check that out. But just as Jesus came into this world to meet us where we are, we can do the same in our conversations with other people. That we can leave the world of our views that we can leave the world of our own experiences so that we can enter someone else's. Not just to step into their world, but to explore it, to get our feet dirty in it. And there's a difference. You may know, I talk about it frequently, that our family over the past few years has made several trips to national parks. We love going and kind of seeing these beautiful areas. And a few years ago, we went to Yellowstone and there's over 5 million people a year who come through Yellowstone, right? Just massive, incredible, beautiful things that you don't see uh, in, in, you know, every day, obviously. And so a good friend of ours who really knew Yellowstone well said, uh, gave us some advice. This is it. He says, he says, here's what you need to make sure you do. We're like, okay, great. He says, get out of the car. We're like, I'm like, What? He goes, get out of the car. 90% of the people who come through Yellowstone never get out of the car. That they drive through its scenic byways, but they never get out. They never step foot on its trails, so they miss most of the rare beauty and features that make the park what it is. They never see the wildlife. They never get to see what's over that next landscape or horizon. And I think we tend to do the same in our relationships with people, that we don't get out of the car. We drive past their opinions, we look out our windows, but we never stop to explore those things firsthand. We never stop to learn what they think about and, and take time to ask, now, why do you think that? To learn the backstory, to inquire about their experiences, to not be defensive, to say things like, go on, I'm listening. And for a moment, to be on their side. And at the end, you don't have to agree. That's not a condition of being in a conversation with someone. But at the end, you'll know you've done this well when you can say, you know what? From your perspective, I think I can see why you think and feel the way that you do. And that's going to help you know how to go about thinking and feeling about the ways that you feel about those things. And why is this so important? 
Because this accomplishes what the actual primary goal of listening is, which isn't to win each other over. It's to love. That when we listen, we are loving the people around us. And that's our you know, final step today. What do I want us to hold on to is that when we listen to one another, we should listen as an act of love. That when we listen to one another, what we are communicating to them, just non-verbally, what we're saying to them is I'm making space for you. Even if I don't agree with you, I want to make space for you. That I, I want to understand you. I do understand you. And especially, it tells them I see you. David Augsburger has a quote about this. He says, being heard is so close to being loved that for the average person, they are almost indistinguishable. That if we want people to know that they matter to God, they have to know that they matter to us. If we want people to be able to experience the love of God, it's gonna come through the love of us. That when we engage in disagreements with people by making space simply to just listen, that we're saying to them, you matter to me. Now, this is our opportunity. Here's our application, Heartland. What do we do with all of this? In our commitment to be a Jesus first people, let's be a listening first people. Let's surprise this world and be the first to leave our camps and the echo chambers that we can all be tempted to sit in so that we can make space in our lives and even in our church for people and their experiences to understand what we haven't yet made an effort to. Let's raise the standards from amicable disagreements to understanding what we never thought that we could. Let's you and I do this. Why? Because this is crucial to how we live as followers of Jesus. We can't be a Jesus first people without being a listening first people. And to do this, we're going to need each other to do it well. We are going to fall on our face. This is not something that we have learned how to do. We're going to get it wrong. And so we need to extend the same grace to one another that God extends to us. Now, here's the other reason why this is so important. is because there are people in your life who may never stop to look into the eyes of Jesus. They will never see him walk over to the side of the road where they are because they haven't called out to him. But God may have put you in their life. And what will they find when they look into your eyes? Well, they see someone who says, you know what, you matter to me. I don't agree with you, but I wanna work to understand you. And I'm willing to make space for you in my life. Because when they see the way that you look at them, they'll see how Jesus looks at them. That's the challenge that we have. And communion is a space that makes possible all of this for us, that, that in communion, we come to a table of grace to remember the sacrifice of Jesus through the taking of the bread and the drinking of the juice, symbolizing the body and blood that Jesus gave up for us. And we often think of Jesus' sacrifice as making possible our communion with God, that his forgiveness covers the sins in our lives and the damage that we've done to our relationship with God. And it does, his sacrifice does that. But what Jesus also did through his sacrifice was make possible our communion with one another that we come to this table together as a community, that Jesus's vision of his church wasn't simply a group of people who loved him and gathered together from time to time and got along nicely. That communion reminds us that Jesus makes possible a table of grace where people can sit shoulder to shoulder even if we don't always see eye to eye. And so after Jesus spent his final night with his disciples, 
celebrating that communion meal, he went out to pray and what he prayed for you and me, because he did, he prayed for you and me in this moment. He knew that we would need help in this area. And so he prayed to our Father in heaven. He said, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray for those who will believe in me through their message that they may be one. And this unity is only possible through the grace and the power of Jesus. Jumping in, this is not easy stuff, (laughs) but I thank you for being here. And I encourage you to stay along for the journey and give space and grace for God to talk to you and share with you whatever he thinks that you might need to hear from this to benefit from it. Also, uh, we're going to give you some tools along the way. So jump on our social media. Right now you can do so. You can hop on our HCCKS, either on Facebook or Instagram. You're going to get the conversation questions that we put out every single week. This is a way for you to think about, to journal about, or even to be in conversation with other people about some of the things that we've talked about today and to look at the scripture yourself. So you can find those there. You also find a couple of resources that I want to throw your way as we jump through this series together and that self-assessment that we talked about. And then also don't forget that this is your first time here at Heartland. We've made space for you. There's a place for you and for your experiences because we want you to be able to experience that love of God. So if we could meet you, come on over to the hub, get a little bit of our story and we'd love to hear a little bit of yours. Hey, everyone have a wonderful and blessed week. We'll see you next Sunday.